welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Southwest Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Nadina Lisbon, a Salesforce CTA and Enterprise CRM architect in the US. Nadina provides insight into why she pursued an education in IT, how she started her career with Salesforce, and what some of her early practices were that set her up for success. We discuss certain career moves that Nadina has made and how she has been strategic with decisions to ensure she is moving towards long-term goals. Nadina explains when the CTA first became a goal for her, why it was important to her, and how the journey evolved, as well as the role that Flow Republic played. Nadina describes the CTA review board and what it was like for her, what it felt like to find out she had passed, how she understands the significance of her achievement, and how she hopes it will encourage others on their journeys. Finally, Nadina talks about the importance of really knowing your why and the importance of the Salesforce community to her. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Hello, Nadina. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I, I'm really excited to unpick your career journey today, and, and we're going to obviously talk about some of the achievements you've recently had and, um, and go into you know, some of the exciting things you've been doing. But if you've listened to the podcast before, I always like to hear a bit more about your journey up until this point. So can you tell me a little bit about your kind of earlier career interests and why you pursued a career in IT? Okay, yeah. Where to begin? I guess for me, if I'm starting back, I started looking and getting serious in IT after high school. I'm not the typical, oh my gosh, I love computer science person. I have a analytical brain and I actually was looking more going into the sciences. So looking more in like physics and things like that. But when I went to college, I was like, computer science just seems to be where things are going. So I did my associates in computer science. And then when I came to the US to do my bachelor's, I also did it in computer science with a minor in mathematics. And I finished with a double major. And then I went along and did my master's in computational science, which is a mixture of linguistics and computer science and a lot of other things that I kind of mixed in there. Um, and that's where I actually had gotten into Salesforce as well. It's interesting because we have a lot of people on the podcast that, you know, they are the typical, you know, I loved computers. I wanted to unpack a computer, understand how it all works and things like that. So when you did start studying computer science and moving into that space, did you find that it came quite naturally or did you find that it was difficult? Quite the opposite. So I'm not a hardware person. So I started with visual basics. Getting even the basics of that, it was very hard for me, not because of the logic part, but just working it and putting it into a computer. So I practice probably too much. But once I got that initial foundation of the basics, all the advanced topics, the advanced flows, those just came naturally for me. And I think that's just my learning style. I have to have the basics first. And if I try to rush through that part, it's just... Uh, disaster. 
Mm, yeah, I think that's the right way to approach things. I know that my learning style is probably the opposite, which is why I, I've never achieved anything from like an educational standpoint or progressing. As an example, if I go on trailhead, I tried the test before I've read the, the theory. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, which probably doesn't set me up in good stead. So um, you mentioned that you actually found Salesforce quite early then. So through your studies towards the end of your education, how did that come about? Because that's not typical, right, in terms of finding Salesforce during an education period. That was very interesting. So as part of my master's, I had the choice to either do an internship or to do a paper. I really didn't want to do another paper. I just finished my bachelor's, just did that capstone project. And I was just like, I need to do something more exciting. And so when the opportunity to do an internship came up, one of my professors recommended me for a small ISV. And I was like, I didn't know what Salesforce was, but someone told me it's like proprietary Java. That was not the case. But then not knowing Salesforce at all, I did not know anything about the community. I was like, okay, this sounds great. And so kind of just jumped in there. And as I was doing my internship and, you know, as an intern, you're doing a lot of different things, but I was doing a lot really fast. And so after I finished my master's, I actually started with that company full time. And I really did a lot with Salesforce. I did many, many things, working with a lot of big customers. And overall, I felt that my career really accelerated because I got so much hands-on early on so quickly. So how long was the internship for? So it was just for the semester. And essentially, as interns, what we had to do was describe what we were working on, fit it in on how it goes with our overall class. And so this class specifically was just looking at, you know, different emerging technologies. And so it was looking more, mine was specifically on Salesforce. So talking about how Salesforce would work, how it's working in the day-to-day business, how this technology is different. So things like that. Yeah, nice. So before you found Salesforce and through your education, had you kind of identified a different direction that you thought you might go down in terms of technologies? I wasn't sure at that point yet. I knew that I wanted to do something in computer science. That's why I actually did the master's in linguistics because I was looking towards that AI type field, but I wasn't sure 100% like I definitely want to be a developer or I definitely want to go into more AI and linguistics. So that was really the turning point for me when I did this internship. I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is front end. This is back end. This is everything. Like Salesforce just had everything as a platform. And the more I dug into it, the more it's like, this is a whole massive community. Mm-hmm. And when someone has gone on to achieve significant things in their career, I like to get some advice, I guess, in the earlier stages of their career for people that might find themselves at that kind of point and looking to establish good foundations. So when you started working as a developer, can you remember the kind of non-negotiable practices or things that you adhered to and not necessarily like governor limits, but just, you know, the best way of doing things that you established as things that you would carry throughout your career and you would continue to follow? Yeah. So for me, I learned that the first time I'm doing anything is going to be difficult. So I give myself that grace now knowing that whatever it is that first time, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a rough draft. It's going to be difficult. I typically will do it again, whether it is on my own time or secondaries, just so that I can get a familiarity with it. So when I was writing code, again, it was like, okay, I remember writing my first trigger and I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I done wrote a bunch and then I got a nickname when I was an intern and as a developer because I really like to write triggers and everybody would be like, oh, let Nadina write this trigger. And it's not that I really like to do it, but that's how I practice. So if I kept doing the same thing and 
it became okay, here's a small trigger. Now we're working with multiple objects. Now we're doing aggregations. Now we're doing for loops. We're doing if statements. And so the more I did it, the more familiar I felt with it and I could map it out into my brain and I could see like, this is how the logic needs to work. This is what needs to be done. Oh, this is a bad step. We shouldn't do this. And so I started building these mind maps of this is how Apex needs to work and then putting in the best practices, understanding why and how we got here because as I was working and as I developed through this company one thing I noticed is there's the best practice way there's the how did we get here meaning I'm giving something and I didn't write this code so how did we get here why was it written but also understanding specifically the okay we're at step a you're trying to get to z they might not be even ready for d so getting them and carrying them along that journey and again, because of the environment and because it was more of a, you know, startup and everyone can get in, like I'm having client calls, really understanding what the client is needing. And so I'm getting that exposure as a consultant early on, but also I'm thinking that, okay, I got the requirement where it's saying X and yes, it can meet the customer's expectation, but this isn't actually what the customer wanted. And then you get on the call and it's like, this is not what we wanted. Yeah. Early on, I understood that even though the requirement might say, I need this, I need a trigger built for this, we might be able to do it declaratively, but they, as the customer, they might not know. They're just giving the requirements and they're expecting an outcome. And so as I grew in my career, it was very evident to me that I need to get to a level where I can be closer and also understand what it is, the wants and the needs. And so that was something where it's like, those soft skills were important for me. I'm very introverted, actually, but at work, I'm an extroverted person. I'm a social butterfly, so to speak. And I put out a lot more energy and I'm a lot more intent because I want to ensure that I'm able to communicate with customers. I'm able to communicate with whoever I'm talking to. And so I understand the system. That is something I spent a lot of time on to really hone in those Salesforce skills. Now I'm trying to understand the business and trying to make that perfect mesh. It's interesting you say about being introverted, but in the workplace, you're extroverted. Like, is that something you've had to like mentally shift and like put yourself in that position and like encourage yourself to be that extrovert in the business environment? Or does that just naturally bring that out of you? No, it's something that I noticed that as I was going through life, it's, it's something I have to work extra hard at. So you might see me at a Salesforce event and I might be the person in the corner. That's strategic because I, I don't want, I don't want people walking up on me. But it's also something where it's like, I might not want to have that engaging conversation right now, but I would want to have it later. Because when I'm having these conversations, it's actually very draining on me. And so I need time to refresh. I always tell people I need to dip out, have a break and then come back. And so it's something that I've worked really hard to one. When I'm having the conversation, I'm 100% engaged. I'm listening and understanding. I'm hearing the things that you're not seeing as well. Even when I'm doing certain calls, I won't even take notes. I'll have somebody else take notes because I want to listen attentively and then also not just answer for answering sake, but answer with intent and understanding that this is where you're trying to get to. This is what I heard and this is where we need to be. And so, yes, it's a skill that I've been working and honing for most of my life. Has that been something that you've had like mentors or guidance and encouragement from peers or mentors, I guess, and through your career and even through your education? 
Yeah, I have a lot of mentors. I have a, I call it Nadina's network of different people that I can talk to. And that's one thing people are like, you have a lot to say, you should just say it because I listen very well. I'm very much a people watcher. So I know what is going on and I read body language very well, especially in person. And it's one of those things when I say something, it's said with a lot of thought, a lot of intent. So I've had a lot of mentors strongly encourage me to be more extroverted at work. So if you're going to the meeting, have that energy, be that social person just for the short period of time. And then you have time to, you know, recharge and understand that, okay, it's not forever. It's not something where you're extroverted for the rest of your life. It's just for this meeting, for this date. And so that's something I take on. For this meeting, I need to be the social person. I need to ask the questions. I need to lead the call. When I'm on my lunch break, I can just be peaceful and just be in the moment. It's very difficult to do that though, right? It's like to make that shift because it's so unnatural. It must be draining in the early days of doing it. Like, I guess you get more comfortable, more familiar with that. Yeah. But in the early days, it must be very draining. It was very draining because I literally had to start with, okay, I'm going to have this one meeting and I'm leading the meeting. And it used to be, if you tell me early on that, oh, hey, last minute we have a meeting and we need you to do it, I'd be like, no, I cannot. I don't have the energy for it. Now, if someone says that, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That's okay. But it's something like you have to get accustomed to it, right? These habits, these introverted habits, even though they are difficult and things like that, when you're in the workplace and you're trying to get things done and trying to get items progressed, if you're not the extroverted person, that means somebody else is speaking for you. And I don't like people speaking for me because they might misunderstand what it is that I'm trying to get. So mm-hmm. I need to be my own advocate and advocate for myself. So I keep that in mind when I'm being that social butterfly. And in terms of career goals, obviously, like a lot of people, they progress and and they take steps that might seem like natural to them at the time from going like from a, you know, an admin to a consultant. But not everyone has like a really well-defined long-term view of where they want to get to in their career. Did you have something from the early days that you kind of knew this is where I want to go and therefore took certain strategic decisions when you were moving between roles to make sure that they aligned to where you were headed? Yeah, as I move through my career, I tell people it's not an accident for me. It's very intentional as I'm moving step by step. So when I was early on as an intern and then became an associate developer, I was like, oh, a team lead. That's the person who is helping the team overall and helping do those technical calls. So I'm shadowing these people to understand what it is that you're doing. Is it something special? What's the secret sauce? And then as I get higher into my career, I remember when I first learned about architects and what architects do, and they're essentially the person at the top doing all that high-level road mapping. And they're the person that if they don't do their job correctly, then the whole project can cascade. And at first, I'm like, do I really want to be that person? It's essentially a fall guy. If that person messes up the job, then the whole project can be in disarray because the roadmap, the vision, the strategy wasn't outlined. But on the other hand, when it's done well, it's done beautifully. And so as I was going through my career and thinking about what it really means to be an architect, what it really means to be that leader, what it means to gather those skills, with each company, it was a step closer to doing that. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Flow Republic. Flow Republic is the elite Salesforce Academy, helping architects all over the world to realize their goal of becoming a Salesforce certified technical architect. 
The success that architects are having with Flow Republic is incredible. So if you are on your journey to CTA, then I highly recommend checking out flowrepublic.com to understand how they can help you. When did uh, the CTA become a goal then? And what steps did you need to take from a, a work perspective to make it realistic? Yeah, so CTA, I would say I got really serious about it. Maybe it was like about two years ago. I didn't have all the qualifying exams as yet, but I wanted to understand what I needed to do. I remember talking to Seb actually from Flow Republic during a, I think it was like a virtual dreaming or something like that. And he was like, you need to have these exams and then we can talk again later on. And so I was like, okay. When I went to go do my initial 602, again, I hadn't really involved my company yet because this was more, um, not a 602, sorry, the qualifying exam to tell you about the 601, to tell you about the CTA and the pyramid and everything. When I first did that class, I was a little intimidated because at the end of that three-day course, I met people who had already done mocks. I met people who had already had mentors and they had already put in a case. I was just like, am I behind? How am I behind? And I just started. And so I remember that Friday, I filled out everything for starting the journey. I remember putting on a trailblazer community. I have a case number. I'm very serious. I also need a mentor because I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. And Lawrence Newcomb actually reached out to be my mentor. So once we got those conversations started, it was very clear to me, one, okay, I have this really high level CTA. I didn't want to present to him for weeks. Like I, I was like, I, I cannot, I cannot present for you. I, I don't even know what I don't know. It was one of those things where I definitely need to now start talking to my company. And when I started talking to them, first I had to explain to them what the CTA is why it mattered, why it mattered to me, and how the company could help me. Initially, it was one of those things I was working for a customer. They hadn't heard of the CTA. They didn't know what a CTA was. I don't even think my manager had ever spoken to another CTA. So I created a PowerPoint, did that deck, and said, hey, okay, so this is the CTA. This is the timeline. This is the cost. We got to the cost and they're like, we don't know if we can support you. It was just blunt. Like, we don't know if we can support you. Wait another year and then maybe we can come back and revisit this. And I was just like, I don't have a year. I, I want to do this now because I know for me, when I start making traction for things, I need to have it going. If I stop, it's going to stop. And so I was like, okay. If you can't give me the money for it, can you give me the time? Because CTA requires a lot of mocks and a lot of practice and a lot of knowledge gaps. And back then I was very optimistic that this wasn't going to take long, but my overall journey took two years. And I would say the first year was just the ramp up period. I was able to secure time, which was good. And that is how the journey started. And I know a lot of people think that to go down that CTA path, you need to work in consulting and that your career has been quite heavy on the end user side, right? So did you ever feel that that was a move that you should make? And working with someone like Flow Republic, did that help take away some of the kind of need for that multi-environment, multi-project experience? Yeah, I was thinking about it for a little bit, but I always loved working with customers. The thing that I've seen with consultants is like, yes, you get a lot of experience, but there is a lot of time that it takes. And so 
For me, I always wondered, I didn't go down the consulting path. I didn't get a job in consulting because I didn't know if I would have the time to devote towards doing the CTA while you're doing all these projects because timing is a very big factor and you need a lot of time. You need to work somewhere where, yes, CTA is important, but also your main job is important. It's like a secondary job you're picking up essentially. And so working with customers and working with a customer, it always allowed me to have that time to focus in. And so I decided to stay with customers and then filling that gap. That's where I was like, yes, I need Flow Republic. I need a program and a structure because again, my company had no idea about Salesforce, CTAs and how it worked and the importance. But I knew that if I was going to do it, I needed help. I needed some type of coaching. And so at the time when I looked around, Flow Republic was the best. Like everyone talked about Flow Republic. And I actually talked to a few people who were in the program because I wanted to understand one, what is my money paying for? And two, how is the experience going for you? And I spoke with Johan. I spoke with some other people and I said, yes, okay, I'm going to sign up for Flow Republic. So when I signed up for Flow Republic, I think it was the first time too, they were doing cohort leads. And again, Seb asked me like, hey, do you want to be a cohort lead? Normally introverted Nadina would say no, but extroverted Nadina was like, well, if I'm cohort lead, then I will, yes, essentially be setting meetings and things like that. But I also will get to understand what everyone else is doing. Because again, these cohorts are made up from diverse people, right? Some people working in consultants, some people working at partners, and some people working at customers like me. When you started that journey then, or like over that two-year period, what was your exposure from an architecture standpoint in your day-to-day job and also the complexity of the environments that you'd worked in up until the point of um, the review board? For me, as an architect, I would say I didn't have too many complexities. So I I didn't have like a multi-org environment. I didn't have those types of hairy problems that I do like today, for example. So it was one of those things where I was like, Am I missing out on some key features, key learnings? But from a Flow Republic perspective, one of the things that I really liked was I'm talking to people who are in the trenches, essentially. So I'm getting the learning, but I'm not the person that's doing it. And so that was something I know I had to be a bit more intentional on because, again, when you're talking about experience, if you're talking about it from a secondhand experience, it's not the same. So things like, when I really wanted to understand Okta, for example, yes, my company at the time had used Okta, so I was familiar with it. I did some setup initially, but we didn't have any big issues with it. So I, on my own, configured Okta so I could understand how the groups work, how things work, how this integration should work, what it looks like if it's failing, things like that, and just have those types of scenarios so I could have more hands-on experience. Um, How would you describe the review board to someone that hasn't ever done it before? When I first thought about the review board, I was like, this is an intense program where you're up against the best of the best. They have the answer key and you you don't know if your answer is 100% correct. You don't even know if it's 50% correct, but you're going in there to sell this impossible dream, this amazing build out from something that you looked at for three hours. So it's one of those things where you would get a rush. When I think about the review board now and at the very end, it was one of those things where it was a nice conversation. It was really good to have these smart people say, 
and ask these questions because it's like, oh, this is really nice. Even though they already know what the full answer is, the conversation itself was really good. So I've always had a good experience for all my boards during the Q&A, whether I had passed them or not. And it was one of those things as I came down to the end of the program, it was, I feel like I'm operating at a CTA level. I don't have my CTA yet, but I feel comfortable now. It feels familiar, which is where I wanted to be when I passed the exam. Because a lot of people say, obviously, like the end goal is to become a CTA, but the journey in itself is actually the most beneficial thing. So that journey prepared you for feeling like a CTA, even at that stage of not knowing if you were yet. Yes, because at the end of the day, once you get the CTA, once you get that certificate, I feel that's now where things really start because now you're looked at, you're the person. Someone's asking you a question and I, I can tell some people will be like, I should know this because I'm a CTA, but you don't know everything. Salesforce is changing constantly. And sometimes the answer is, it depends. It depends on what the business is doing. It depends on what the users are asking for. It depends on the integrations. It depends on so many multi-factors. And that was one of the things as I was doing the exam, it's you have three hours to do it. There's no one to talk to. So it's you're having to make all these rationales and you're making them very quick. And now you're walking the judges through this journey and this mental gymnastics that you're doing. It's something that I didn't have to do before. It wasn't something where when I would talk to my customers, I would have to solve it on the spot or solve it in three hours. Now, when I'm talking to people, I already have a high level solution in my mind and I'm waiting for inputs. And it's, you can see that clear picture now. I couldn't do that before CTA. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. That does change everything about how you think and I guess the value you add to a customer. Yes. So tell me what it felt like when you found out you'd passed. It was interesting. So when I got the results and I was looking at the email, I had to put my phone down because I wasn't sure if I was reading the correct email. So then I read it again. Then I gave my phone to my husband. I said, I'm done. <laughs> no context, nothing. And he's like, CTA? I don't know if finally like we're on the same link because I do this all the time where I'll start a conversation. He's like, <laughs> what is the context? But he's like, he literally was like, CTA? And I was like, yes. And he was like, congratulations. And I was like, this is it. It's done. And it was one of those things where it's like, at first, who should I call? Because I was, who should I tell? And then I was like, should I tell anybody? So then I waited, I think like 30, 45 minutes of just sitting in. I've been a CTA now for about a, a couple weeks. And it was, it was one of those feelings. It's like, this is really interesting. Then I started waking up all kind of people. I just was telling everybody because I was like, I need to just tell the world and just get the news out. And then I was like, oh, it's late. I don't know if I should wake people up with this. So then I started sending messages and then early morning calls. And it was one of those things where like, I didn't sleep that night. I was just so excited because it's like this journey that had taken two years and all the hard work that I had done, like this was it. And then I remembered... When I got up in the morning, I was like, where's, where's my certificate? Like, I need a certificate. Because it's still, you know, all you have is that email. So it still didn't feel real. And then when I got my certificate, I was like, okay, my web assessor is updated. Everything is updated. Now it feels real. Like, I can see everything and everyone can see it. Because it's, it's one of those things where when you get it, when you're done, it's almost unbelievable. I feel like there's like a next step. So like, I'm waiting and it's like, no, it's like done. 
it's like done done so it's like it was just amazing yeah i can imagine it must be such a crazy journey and then to get that after two years it's like doing a degree again right like i've had people compare it to doing a master's alongside no my master's felt easier than this (laughs) really yeah i did my master's in one year so it's one of those things it's like it felt like a phd for me it's like wow (laughs) so you're, you're also heavily involved in the community at what point did that become a thing and why is that so important to you and also the cta means a lot to you but it will also mean a lot to the people within the community groups that you're in so what do you hope that that means for them yeah so my community involvement started pretty early on when i first started in salesforce there was no trailhead i remember at my company we had built like our own modules and things like that to help train other people and when I learned more about the community and I got really heavily involved in development community and then then coaching with RAD, working with other conferences like Dreaming in Color. One thing for me is I love to give back and I want people to have a great experience. So as they're entering Salesforce, there's so many paths, so many avenues, and there's not a one-stop fit all from the path. Like, okay, today you start as an admin, because I started as a developer. And then I went and got my admin cert, for example. And so as I'm giving back, I want people to understand one, there's a lot going on in the community. And there's a lot of people who are out here rooting for you. And so having these different community groups where you can go to talk to people and understand what is going on is very important for me. And then as I was going through this journey, it was very evident to me that a lot of people who look like me, identify like me, they're not a lot of women CTAs. They're not a lot of people of color CTAs. And I don't know of any black female CTAs. And so it was something where I wanted to give people hope, essentially, that the journey is long, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And what has the response been? It's been overwhelming because it's one of those things where it's, I think I'm the first. And so it's like, I'm paving that path forward and then encouraging other people to come on that path. And so it's been beautiful as well, because I am that example, but I didn't have it for myself. Yeah. I mean, was that something that you were very aware of through the process that you knew that, you know, if you did achieve this as an outcome, like there would be so many people in the industry that would look to you as a shining light and someone that they can emulate? I guess yes and no. When I first started, I knew that there were not a lot of female CTAs. As I was going, it was very evident that, okay, there's not a lot of people of color on this path as well. And so it was one of those things where I kept that in mind and that it did help fuel my why to keep going on. Because as you know, CTA, sometimes as people are going on in this path, for whatever reason, they have to take breaks or sometimes they don't come back because it's so intense. And that was one of the things I kept coming back to was like, okay, that first exam when I did it and I didn't pass, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is intense, but I need to keep going. And then <laughs> when I got my results and I got a partial, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, I have to keep going. And now I have smaller amount of time to do this exam in. And then by the way, because it's a two section, I have one shot. So it's one of those things where it's like, If I didn't get it, would I have still continued? And the answer is yes, I would have still continued. Between taking my last board exam, so I I took the exam and got the partial in June, between taking it again in November, 
in that gap, I took this strategic break where I did a lot of transformation and it was something that really helped me. So I changed jobs. I changed states and I took a break so that I could be mentally prepared in the end and so that I could have the fuel and the drive to finish out. If someone is listening to this and they're at the very beginning of their career, whether that's Salesforce or you know any IT career, what do you want them to know? What can they achieve if they put their mind to it, if they uh, have that passion and determination? I think the most important thing is at the end of the day, you're doing it for yourself. So make sure that your why is very strong. When we first started CTA, I remember that was a question that Sebed asked, why are you doing this? And for me, I, I think I had like three things. I wanted to be that subject matter expert when they say Nadine, I want them to say Nadine Lisbon CTA so that it's immediate uh, street cred. It was never necessarily for getting a better job because I knew that was going to come listening to other CTAs. It was never to get more money because again, as you get better at your career, that is naturally going to come. Sometimes CTA helps, sometimes it doesn't. Again, with the journey as you're going through, you're just going to be better at the interview process. You're going to be better at negotiations. Like your brain is just working better on all cylinders. But at the end of the day, I also wanted to ensure that this is something I wanted to do for myself. Something that no one can take away, right? Once you get this certification, it is mine to have and mine to keep. Doesn't matter the company, doesn't matter the industry. I'm now a CTA and I am that subject matter expert. Awesome. Uh, And just by doing that and having the why and having that drive, you are inspiring others. And uh, I'm sure there'll be people listening that do want to reach out and you know, thank you for that, but also maybe pick your brains or get some motivation. So where's the best place for people to find you online? So I'm typically on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn. I am still on Twitter, if Twitter is still existing. I'm also on Mastodon, and I'm also on the Trailblazer community. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform, as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon. And thanks again.